Hello everybody and welcome back to the Biff Rugby League podcast. It's, some would say, unlucky number 13, time for episode number 13, but I don't think it has, it's, it's been quite a nice gentle start to a new podcast life for us all and before I'll introduce, ask how everyone's getting on, I'd like to apologise to the London Scholars. Um, last podcast you would have heard us say that they are currently the worst professional rugby league or semi-professional rugby league team in the world because they hadn't won a game in however many um and they proved us wrong at the weekend by beating oldham getting their first two points jumping up to ninth in this one um the worst rugby league team semi-professional rugby league team in the world now lies in the hands of cornwall who we didn't want to say this but they're eight losses out of eight and their next game is against um i believe it's against the london scholars so they could be well adrift at the bottom of the table following ne- following the next round of League One fixtures, and yeah, we'll just leave it at that. I think apologies to everyone at London School who are now not first rugby world right now. Um, but boys, how are we? We can't see Robin tonight, but we can hear him. How are we, lads? Yeah, I'm good. I enjoyed um, a good weekend. Watched the uh, Challenge Cup final in the pub. Um, and even though there was no sound and the screen was like no bigger than my phone. It was still a mint atmosphere, so um, I was super happy. A bit jealous that I couldn't be there in person like you, but yeah, how, how about you two? Hey, you could say that number 13 is the unlucky uh, number of episodes, but you could also say it's the loose forward of episodes. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> other things that are a bit loose at the moment, our ability to predict who the worst team in the <laughs> So it's all gelling nicely together by the looks of it. But yeah, I'm well, thanks for asking. Yeah, it was um, it was good. It was nice to be able to get to a live rugby league game again that wasn't Tigers, wasn't working at it. Um, and that's something we haven't really spoke about as well. Like, I want to say a massive thank you to the the RFL for allowing me to um, co-commentate on Bedford Tigers versus uh, Bristol Golden Ferns. Not the Sunday, just gone the Sunday before. Uh, fantastic to work alongside Matthew Holton. Wonderful to hear the fantastic news on our league. So my last week finishing off year, having half term, being able to do that, it's all been absolutely wonderful. And like you said, Robin, we had the Challenge Cup final. That's a fantastic step. Uh, the Tottenham Hotspur, absolute brand. Um, being closer to the pitch as well, like we were up in the top tier and we felt a lot closer to the pitch. Wembley, uh, you could hear everyone. Like it was just, it was just really nice to be be there it felt better than and we'll get into it later on as to more details about all of that really nice to be i'm glad we all managed to watch. what did you guys make of change to wembley did you really notice it watching from home or not i think um the stadium looked great on tv it looked um really modern it looked like quite full um there was a sort of a shot at half time when all the pundits were talking and it was like had the stadium in the background and I, and honestly, other than when we played at Camp New, I don't think rugby league looked better um, in the Northern Hemisphere anyway. So I'm, I'm quite torn really because Wembley feels like the sort of the home of the Challenge Cup, and I think it's important that we have a regular fixture at Wembley. But this stadium was really impressive, and I think it was received well. And from you know the the views that you sent, and from just things that I've heard, it it I think it was a really great um, option. And I definitely think we should try and get back there. Yeah, Toby, what about yourself? You 
said you didn't manage to watch it live, but you've watched it back since. Did you feel did you feel like it was a better atmosphere, sort of what feel more of like a cup final than sometimes Wembley does feel? Uh, yeah, the, the stadium looks more impressive than Wembley has for the past five six years. Um, in terms of the amount of the amount of uh, crowd in the stadium and sort of how full it looks and yeah, just like that. I mean that um that sort of massive cop behind one of the uh one of the ends is which I think all the Wigan fans are in. Um, it's just sort of an incredible structure, um, and sort of brilliant for for watching um sports on, but also creating an atmosphere. Um, yeah, I think I'm in the same position as Robin, where it's like you need you need a game at Wembley because it's such an iconic stadium. But this is actually this this was actually a very impressive uh change. Um, and I'm yeah, we'll sort of see what happens going forward. I guess. Yeah, I think it's a sixty thousand seat stadium. The number of the attendance was officially fifty one thousand six hundred. Had the Fev League game beforehand, and a lot of the Fev fans and League fans had maybe not a lot, but quite a few of them had left before the the grand the um before the Challenge Cup final because it's a long way back home for them. It's not the easiest of stations, to, like stadiums to get to if you're not from like close by because you get like two or three different lines get to a certain station but it was easy for me getting the White Hart Lane across to Seven Sisters and up to Pancras and home like as you like yes getting home took a little longer because everyone was going the same way that's the only that was the only negative I had from the fact that actually one of two negatives I had from the weekend was every everyone was going the same way home everyone was going to the same station on the way home and everyone was going the same way from that station Whereas at Wembley, you've got a lot more platforms. Instead of just the two platforms, one northbound, southbound, three southbound, three northbound, whatever it is, and people are going totally different directions. So if they're all going to one station and they're panning out quite quickly. Uh, whereas at Tottenham, we're having to wait. We were stood still for probably in 45 minutes at that lane, trying to wait for the train, and then probably another half an hour at um, Seven Sisters, just because. There was that many same direction. Second negative tab was lack of programs available. Like we got to where usually you go to Wembley and there's loads of people stood outside. You've got people selling programs outside all the way up Wembley Way. You have load everywhere inside will be open no matter what floor you're on. There'll be a souvenir stand that have plenty. They just didn't seem to have any. Like I went and got beer when I got there, six pound fifty for a pint at Heineken. That's I think Wembley's not. Eight pound for a program, and they didn't. And they, they didn't have any. Like I would expect them to have loads if they were eight pound. Like people that bought a program for eight pound at the week, three pound more. Like that's it. That's the that's a disappointment. I think. I think that's it's a, it's a working class sport. Like a lot of the teams, backgrounds, working class fans. Eight eight pound. You're only going to read once. That's a bit of a rip. Yeah, and and you've got to consider as well, like. Fans have already paid a lot of money for the tickets. Yeah. They've paid a lot of money for the travel. It's a whole day, so you've got all all those expenses that come with it as well. But then again, if you if you're in Tottenham, I suppose you can't charge those prices because I mean I don't I don't know what what how many people they managed to get from the surrounding area, how many Londoners and people from that side of London, but they would probably expect those prices. So 
I guess that's maybe why they tried to charge him. I don't know if you could really work it out from being there. Do you think there was a lot of um, sort of neutrals that hadn't been before? Or do you think it was mostly those travelling fans from some of the four teams playing? There was a, there was a lot of travelling fans and there were a lot of players from clubs that go. Um, like even if they were like clubs from London, etc. But there was a lot of school kids as well. Like we were we were up, got loads of teams in fancy dress. So there were school kids down the left, school kids down the right, these school kids on like opposite. So it was a lot of tickets I think given out to like a good twenty or thirty three tickets to loads of school area, try and get kids involved, which fantastic from the RFL, wonderful idea. But I think the prices of everything else, like the food and stuff people these people can't take things away from there all they can do is watch the game like i'd love to have a physical ticket like we used to have instead of plastic like sorry in terms of like an eating like actually give me a proper ticket rather than like printed paper copy uh make stuff like i wouldn't mind paying five pound for a program that's probably my limit but i ain't gonna spend eight pound on one but i think i think the prices of the beer and the food is down to the football club so you can't really i don't think you could blame the rfl for that but They've got to think about what they're doing and how they're going to do it. Um, being at Tottenham, fantastic. I, I, I think that that stadium in a better location is wonderful. I'm not sure it's a cup final stadium, but I tell you what, it would be magic, like magic weekend or maybe even the semi-finals and the final. Like That'd be have like a triple header, like two triple headers on a magic weekend. In, if about do it, maybe doing. Challenge Cup quarterfinals and the finals there over two days. I don't know how well the pitch would hold up if it's pitch. Yeah, and don't don't they um they because they have an astroturf pitch underneath. I was yeah. someone was showing me a video so they can like wheel out the grass pitch. Yeah, and then put the astroturf in, and they've done that for the American football. Yeah, they have. I'd, like, is that a possibility? Do you reckon they could do something like that? make it last all weekend if you imagine having to you, i suppose you could have two rugby leagues on there and then overnight you wheel the next one in so then damage it if that makes sense that that if that was something that they would be able to do then i don't see why somewhere like tottenham could host maybe the challenge cup semi-finals and the final one like it's a big enough stadium where you get four sets of fans in give each end their own sort of thing so, do you know what I mean? And go from there and you see what you get. Because you're most likely going to get Saints fans that will have the women's team and the men's semi-final. I don't it hasn't happened. happened. So you're going to get guaranteed women's teams, especially if you put that women's final. That'd be something I'd like to see. But then again, I'm just thinking, if you had like four Super League clubs, for example, if you did the semi-final double header, yeah. They sold they sold like eighty five percent of the of the tickets with two Super League clubs and fair fair enough two reasonably well supported championship clubs. The risk is that you would be able to sell more than that, do you reckon? And I, I think more. I think if you made it a event said instead of advertising it through the clubs as the I think the RFL went it's triple header weekend and also you don't put them both in the same like that is ridiculous. Like getting getting semi final tickets and final tickets in the same pay packet. That moving it to May, I know it was scheduling conflict. Didn't really have much, but I think it needs to go back to July. Like it needs to feel like it's an end of event. 
we've still got more than half the season left. I don't think it yeah. doesn't feel like the end of a season. It didn't feel like the end of a season event. Like, wasn't it in like the August bank holiday, and that was like that was the one. Yeah, it used to. Yeah, it, it, holiday, yeah. Big deal. Yeah, it used to be um, the August bank holiday, but I think, it, and then it used to think it was July. It used to be July anyway. I mean, it, it was July last year. I remember it being in July last year, and it felt really good. It felt nice, hot as well. Yeah, as I say, it can't. It can't be in that bank holiday window again. Um, it's a yeah. They need to find a permanent home for it in terms of it, the fixture scheduling. Um, but the yeah. other thing I would have concerns with in terms of, you know, um, is two trips to London for almost four guaranteed sides to not be from London yeah. for a semi-finals. Is that too much to, to ask of fans? But I, guess it's, I think if... It's how, you can yeah. see how, how crappy Ellen Road sold for the semi-finals. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah so. it's, it's tough, isn't it? Cause I think the fans enjoyed being at Tottenham. I didn't hear a negative of being at Tottenham. A lot of people are saying it needs to stay there, maybe give it one more year. I think if you give it one more year, do it in July, mainly because I don't think it needed to be in May. I don't genuinely, I think May, the fact it was in May, the same same weekend as three Wembley three Wembley finals or playoff finals, Champions League final was that night. Um, you had the Rugby Union Cup fight, the European final that day. And then that, that there's a lot of rugby going on. So the fact that there was fifty one thousand people, and it, it came second in the audience share of events on that day, only, second only to the Champions League. I don't think there's any complaints about how many tickets were sold. That eight thousand tickets not sold. That's we get less tickets not sold at Wembley. I think that get nearly thirty thousand tickets. Yeah, and it looks bad. Yeah, it, it looks like bad. It's a half-empty Wembley. It, it makes us look like a second-class sport. When we fill in the Tottenham Stadium, yeah. it, it, sort of, it, it looks better on TV. I, I, I think you can sort of look at solutions for the um, the fact that fans come for the first game and then go home as well. Yeah. Because um, that ruins the sort of spectacle. You know, before, attendances were in sort of dire places where we needed two games at Wembley to sort of even it out. Yeah, you know, it it was much better. You know, that's what made the stadium look full. I mean, we went. I went to the FA Trophy final um, the weekend before last in football, and um, that they had the FA base on before for the similar reasons. Yeah. And there must have been there was eight thousand tickets. It, I think it was, it was it was either eight or sixteen thousand tickets, one or two sold. I think it was eight thousand tickets sold to the FA base team. Yeah. And about forty of the eight thousand fans stayed. And just you had like half of you, had, you just had this empty half of the stadium, yeah, and it's just or empty half of a lower tier, um, and yeah, I think there needs to be some sort of fix to that as well. If especially, I think you said that the Lee and Federson fans actually got put on the lower tiers, yeah, yeah, and yeah. rather the game which is only on BBC Sports website, <laughs> put their fans up in the nosebleed tiers, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, that that was that that was a difference this year, is because the Premier League game was actually the eighty nine cup eighteen ninety five cup final was actually on, what was on TV. It was they showed it. I think it was BBC, and it was actually on telly. So the fact that they made it look like there was fans filtering in and stuff, fine. Um, a lot of the Fev fans were down next to the Huddersfield fans, and they were given that thing. I don't know where the Lee fans were because all the Wigan fans were in, with like it looked packed. I don't know where they put the Lee fans. Um, it might have been opposite on the right-hand side, and I, did, I didn't quite see that. 
Um, but I know for a fact that they moved some Wigan fans down because you would have noticed um, in that first half, as Huddersfield were attacking, on their left edge, there was a massive empty block on the right edge. There was a bit of an empty block on that right-hand side. Like That's really weird. Like you, It's right in the middle of the Wigan fans. Isn't it? Then in the second half, then blocks were full and then the top tier was slightly empty, so they brought them. They brought the fans down. It was weird that they didn't do that for Huddersfield, whose fans were right up in the bleak, like right up in the top, opposite the opposite the dugouts, right in the top. So you couldn't see them on the telly, just about see them in the in the ground. They didn't off. They didn't manage to bring them down and fill the gaps on that bottom tier. I think if they'd have filled them gaps on that bottom tier in that second half, it would have felt different for the Huddersfield players in that second half. With their team attacking to four of their fans, does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. I think I think that's it's, it's a very smart idea. Put if, if the, the teams come into the first game, fill up the back, and yeah. then if they decide to leave, it's not as noticeable. But I would, I, I've just got, I've got to know. Like you're traveling all the way to London to watch to watch Lee or watch Faison in this in a cup final. No. Why on earth would you leave? Why on earth would you not stay? To you paid for the ticket, you're gonna be able to stay and watch an, a Challenge Cup final. Why? Why do these people leave? I can't get my head around it. Yeah, it, to me it doesn't make sense. I mean, I'm lucky enough that my team are like Halifax are very unlikely to get to win, whether it be eighteen ninety five Cup one because they don't really care about that, two for the Challenge Cup. Um, if they if they manage to get there, they're in the eighteen. 18- Cup final, I'd get there early, I'd watch the game and then I'd go and chill out and then I'd come back in and if I could like sort of wander around and then I'd go and watch I wouldn't bugger off home, I'd go for the Challenge Cup final, I think you look at Old Trafford for the Grand Final get fans from all going is it is that mainly because the tickets and the final are pushed a lot earlier in the season or is that just one of them, I don't know is it, I, don't know. I feel like the fact that it was in May Makes it feel like it was massive, but the fact that there was only over eight thousand tickets sold or not scanned in, if that makes sense, if that's how they do it, then we I don't think they really complain. Mm. If that if in that sense, one thing I think we should really complain about is the structure of the Challenge Cup. I can't remember if we spoke about this on on podcast. Oh, we have. Yeah. We have is the fact that certain teams don't play in it that to see play in it um three games to get to Wembley that or not even to get to Wembley to get to the final like the fact that they've done that three games to get to the final means okay we're not playing at as big of a stadium so I, I think that's not really the issue but they do need to sort out the scheduling I think they need to push it back to July not August I don't want the bank holiday weekend, but push it back to like the middle of May. keep the semi-finals maybe in like the end of May, so the, the weekend that they've just had the final, maybe make that semi-final week. But can't have the semi-final and final so down. Can't can't treat it like an end of season thing when it halfway through. It's coming before the state of origin. That said, that that to me, the state of origin game two is the. Yeah, I I agree that putting the um, semi-finals and the finals so close together, it's a big ask when. Um... Both both fixtures are going to be a, a travel for fans. They're not like you know no no fan base has got two yeah. home fixtures in a row. Yeah. Um. But 
I do like that the Challenge Cup is so much earlier this year. I think it, it gives us like intensity early on. It it's sort of like I don't know, so much changes in a year. Look at Halifax when at the start of this year yeah. they weren't doing too great. All of a sudden they're gonna take not York off third place. So it sort of like rewards those teams that peak early and it just adds that extra bit of I don't know, I, I really like it. I think when we when we get towards the end of the Super League season, we often talk about the cup because it was not that long ago. Yeah. Now, it, we're not going to be able to say, talk, do you know what I mean? It's like, that yeah. was then. You know, forget about it and move on and focus. And I, So I quite like the difference. And I think it also helps, you know, right at the start of this year, we were looking at, like, the community levels in the, in the early rounds of the cup. And it was great. Like, it was really good fun. And so if we'd have had that in, like, February, March, and then had to wait all the way till August for the final, it would it just feels like uh, a totally different competition. So I like that it's an early on. I think it rewards teams that peak early. It gives us, um, you know, it, it spreads our sort of events across the year so that we're, you know, if people only tune into three games a year, then they, yeah. then it spreads those across the whole year rather than them all being like one weekend after another towards the end of the season. So I, I really like it being early, but I totally agree. Putting putting the semi finals so close to finals, that's definitely not the way to do it. Yeah, I, I don't think we can put the semi finals any further away. And I don't think we can do it earlier. If the final is going to be at the end of May, then I don't think there's much we can change. If the final is going to be in July, then we can definitely make the semi finals and we've just had. That makes sense, and then yeah, yeah, and then we can still add a, a round in, uh, like a, the extra round that we were all looking at and discussing, like further in, like you could this weekend coming. I know it's back following weekend and going on, but you make the semi-finals like that first weekend in June, final six weeks later. I don't know. That might be too much of a gap. But then you've still got rounds leading up to that, and you still fit in that extra round to Super League teams play that one extra game and make earn their position. Yeah, I think I think Robin did make a good point in terms of um, you know, there's no there's no excuse for winning the Challenge Cup and then dropping off now. Um, you've got time to drop off and come back. Um, and also, um, you know, the Challenge Cup is the thing that congests congests our fixture calendar. Yeah. Um and makes us basically more prone to injury than the Aussies and things like this. So to get it sort of what to see the back of it now. Yeah, I mean that's it, that. I think that's one of the reasons why the the NRL calendar is so odd is they don't have a cup competition. Yeah. That's why they don't have. That's why they've got more teams and play more fixtures. Don't play everyone every year, but they play some teams three times, and it's a bit. It's not fair. Their league, their the way they play their league aren't fair. Don't play everyone home and away. Like they do Super League, but they still have an odd loop fixture in there. Like it's it's odd, isn't it? The way that the way everything's how both leagues are seen as the top league of they are the top league of the country. We know that, but they're both run differently. But they're they're sort of we're trying to compare ourselves to something that that we can't be because they don't run a cop competition. You want to be as good as the end copy them, get rid of the Challenge Cup, but it's the best cup competition in the world, arguably most of any sport. You're probably looking at the FA Cup is probably unequivalent. It's probably the only competition above it. A straight knockout competition. 
Yeah, I suppose for the NRL, like their their like competition on the side is is Origin and yeah, that that's three games. And yeah, like the Challenge Cup is three games to the final, so it's not a huge difference. It's just it's the whole com. It's the 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 NRL still goes on while State of Origin's happening, whereas like the the Challenge Cup sort of puts a hold on everything because we don't know who's going to be in it. We can't sort of arrange fixtures around it. I, mean, I don't think it'd be right to either, but... No, not at all. Challenge Cup is is probably the second, like I said, the second best cup competition, knockout competition any sport in the world, um, and you can't get rid of it. I think it's just a little bit of fine-tuning a slightly for audience, maybe? Because we are... The game's changing. Needs a big, yeah, we've got new sort of strategy coming through anyway. And, yeah. But it needs to be something now where whatever we say, commit to it for 10 years. And whether that says the Challenge yeah. Cup finals in July for 10 years, Challenge Cup finals in May for 10 years. Yeah, 100%. Whatever it is. But I think, you know, I think the things we can say is we need an extra round in there probably to make sure that amateur clubs are properly represented and, you know, Championship and League One clubs get their fair shot and, yeah, and then we need to make sure that we're getting fans through the through the gates at these games. Yeah, 100%. I mean, if if next if they turn around and say next year's Challenge Cup final is going to be at the Tottenham Hotspur, I think they sell it out. Genuinely think they sell it out because they don't make any changes to anything else. They kind of they kind of spread out the games a little bit more. Maybe the earlier the earlier games for the um, community level sides are a bit more spread out because playing like having to organise travel on ten days notice to the other end of the country is not. Um, a lot of players are probably having to drive themselves up and down, lots of afford all that travel. So maybe if you spread around, spread out those first two rounds a little bit more, then sort of give sort of stay how we are for now, just spread it out a little bit. I don't think we can probably sell out the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium if it's in July because there's no football. Or there's no football uh, next summer. I don't think. I don't think there's any. No Euros, there's no World Cup, there's nothing major summer apart from the name. I don't think that's the place at Tottenham. That'll all be done. I'll be, I think there'll be Euro qualifiers in yeah. like the first few weeks of June and then it'll be done until yeah. pre-season. Until August. So, yeah, I don't think there's going to be really much of a complaint about that. So, we'll just see. Hopefully, we'll get an announcement soon from the RFL to say maybe another proper out-and-out plan and idea what's going on. We should really talk about the game, though. Um, we've, we've all watched it. Um, 16-4. Great try to win the game by Harry uh, by Harry Smith kick through to Liam Marsh. Shocking defending from the Giants towards the end of that game. It really opened up that last 10 minutes. Such a battle. Smithy should have got sent, uh, sent to the bin. We know that now because he's had a four had two two match bans post game. Luke Yates has been handed, I think, ban as well post game. Dangerous act. Game as a whole, fantastic. Referee let let it down for me. He tried. I think he. They say it sounds wrong for saying this, but he tried his best to ruin the game without trying to ruin the game. If that. No, the referees don't want to. How, how do you think he ruined the game? He. I think. Many... I just think he. Yeah, he called penalties when he didn't need to call penalties. Didn't call penalties when he wanted to, when he should have called penalties. 
um, didn't stop the game when he should have potentially stopped the game, stopped the game when he didn't have to stop the game. Um, just inconsistencies from the referee. I think it was a disappointment. When I saw that it was going to be James Child's referee and I turned around and went, should have probably... But it does depend on who's available on and that weekend. Like, if, if we've only got three full-time or four full-time referees, we've only got a... I, yeah, I agree. I mean, watching it, watching it the way I did, I couldn't sort of analyse the game as much as, um, you know, if you're watching it on TV or, or if you're there. But um, I, I thought I, I I saw a couple of moments that I thought were confusing. I I think the the difficult thing I always do these as a neutral and. Rugby League is already a complicated game, and and when when there's like these situations where people are asking why wasn't that a penalty in the eleventh day, well yeah really it should have been it didn't look great so I think um, yeah it's difficult we've got a bit of a situation where we don't have a massive depth of quality referees but when it's the biggest one of the biggest games of the year in front of a brand new stadium and a massive opportunity to sell ourselves. We really need to be getting the best of the best in on those occasions. So it's quite disappointing when we don't. I feel like kind of shot ourselves in the foot a little bit there. Yeah, I mean, for some reason, with I feel like the eighty ninety five Cup final was better refereed, but I don't know who refereed that off the top of my head, so I wasn't there. To, to see it I'm just going to try and find out now who, who refereed that game but James Childs it was the first Wigan uh, the first Huddersfield try I think was scored off the back of a a player down for Huddersfield or first or for Wigan even a first Huddersfield try was scored because a Wigan player was down but then when a Huddersfield player went down and it wasn't a head injury the referee stopped the game before the doctor had come onto the pitch. Like it was, it was weird how that seemed to be, how that was refereed. The obvious yellow card for Smithies was obvious. I don't understand how he might have missed the first initial contact, and it was difficult to see. Like even in the stands at, at the time, I said, "Why is everyone making a fuss out of that? It didn't look that bad. It just looked like he'd come over the shoulder and and sort of caught him just below the neck." But it, Watching it back on the replay, it was like, okay, yeah, that's a yellow card minimum. But but that would have but that would have been a red in Super League last week. Yeah, it becomes really frustrating as well that yeah we have the TMO available and we don't use them properly as well. Yeah. For me, I'd rather whoever's in the TMO box go, like James, you missed the call. Um, pause the game. Um, you you know you're gonna want to see this because he's gonna need to get simbins. Yeah. Um, then. Uh, then, uh, then go to a match review committee, and the match review committee basically say our refs are rubbish. Yeah, they're having to do all the jobs for them. I think there's a there's a Twitter account that's a spoof of the uh, RFL match review panel. Yeah, they put out um, Morgan Smithies has been banned for four games. James Child keeps his job purely because we don't have <laughs> anyone else to referee the games, and it's like yeah. it feels like it resonates quite well, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It, it it's it's that, yeah, it's quite. A, I think. It, straight after the cup final before we sort of reviewed all the footage um, everyone sort of said that, that was a really good cup final in terms of it was a close game it came down to the end there were some tidy plays 
idea yeah. of a Harry Smith kick. This, I mean, Harry Smith sort of putting his name out there as a future England uh, prospect. I wouldn't go that far, but yeah, you hope he'll play for the Knights and think he'll only play for England if injuries, uh, stu- loads of stupid halfback injuries occur. But yeah, he really stepped up. Like you, we we were saying at the start of the season, and something that you said, Toby, I think was how do you put Bevan French, Cade Cast, and Jai Field all into the same team when they kind of they can sort of play in that sort of spine with Tommy Lulawai in there, um, Sam Powell in there as well. Tough, tough to sort of fit every one of them in. Where does Harry Smith fit? And we're thinking, does he move on? Does he go out on loan? Da, 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 da. No, he steps up and he goes to show that actually I can do it. His kick in from the tee wasn't perfect, but it was a lot better than um, Tui Lollahea's. His his dribble kick through for Marshall was absolutely outstanding. And for me, I feel I feel bad for 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 him because he was the man of the match. And I think if the the voting had happened later than that try because I think it happens like with six or seven minutes to go something is stupidly early in the in like that towards the end of the game a lot of that voting happens before the game is finished and it does need to happen before the game's finished but if that game goes to extra time potentially with a Huddersfield penalty you can't then choose the man of the match at the end of extra time it has to be the, the man of the match from the from that time and Chris McQueen for me wasn't wasn't the best player on that pitch that day it was Harry Smith yeah, and what, like, why does it have to be before the end of the match? Why can't we just wait until the final whistle and then announce and then make the vote? Yeah, I, I don't... They get around all the journalists, haven't they, before the journalists have to do their full-time meeting. Yeah, so they have to send Yeah, they have to send the reports off straight away because it, it's cause it, with it being a three o'clock kick-off, I think they have to get their reports in by like half five for that, for that evening's edition of paper or five o'clock for that evening's edition of paper. So they need like the match of... The man of the match and stuff. Everything needs to go in before. Um, so it, it's it's horrible because everything needs to be in so early. But if it does go to extra time one year, they're not going to make them anyway. Yeah. So why not just wait? Like it is it is difficult. And before we go on, I just want to point out that Halifax have just beaten Dewsbury sixty six nil in championship. So I'm I'm in a really good mood. Lachlan Wormsley has been kicking, and yeah, we we should have won seventy two nil. I think they missed three kicks. So it would have been that's we're definitely up to third, but yeah, it's Harry Smith for me, man of the match. Chris McQueen, yes, outstanding. Jermaine McGilvray showed again that he's a big game player. Like he was unreal for me. I think. Do you think that sort of solidified him as one of the definite? I know we talk about this last last podcast about him sort of being in the England squad, but he has to go, doesn't he? Yeah, definitely. Like you say, big game player. Um, he just doesn't. He just doesn't stop, does he? he doesn't take a backward step. No. So. I think he's locked. I think he's locked in now off that performance. But you know, this is what we're saying earlier. The cup's so early in the season. There's so much could change. But yeah, definitely like a, a strong case put forward in that match. Yeah, definitely. Toby, for you, what was your sort of standout? Other than maybe like the kick and the try that won the game, what was your sort of standout moment? Where? Did, what was your sort of turning tide moment? Where do you think Wigan won that game, or where do you think Huddersfield maybe lost that game? Um. I mean, I think it's it, it comes down to that sort of pedigree. Um, I think where this is what we can do. Like we're gonna, many of those Wigan players have came through a Sean Wayne system that grinded out games and were prepared to play into the yeah. last five minutes. And you know, Huddersfield. Uh, this is their first season being good for a number of seasons now. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I think if we see this, this is it's very similar to Ian Watson, coach Huddersfield. It's against a sort of team with great pedigree, and it's the exact same as when Salford got to the grand final. Yeah. Where Ian Watson's done incredible things to put a team together, but then you've got a group of players who are very good on their day, but have no sort of real experience in big moments, um, and sort of grinding out games and things like this. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't. I, I think it's just probably a mentality that's the real difference between the two. That it comes down to um, Wigan being that sort of for as long as we've known Wigan, they've been an eighty-minute team, um, and you know Huddersfield have got a sort of got to pay their their dues to get to that point. I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, a player that sort of stood out for me was was Bevan French. Jai Field, I, I thought, would be man of the match because he's been ridiculous all season. Huddersfield did really well to keep him quiet, but because they kept him so quiet, Bevan French stood out. 185 metres from 18 carries. John Bateman made 186 metres from 17 carries after an 80-minute performance. Brad O'Neill played a 52 minutes at hooker, 43 tackles. Um, Morgan Smithies made 61 tackles. But he missed, he missed one and he also recorded a try assist. I mean, every single one of those players stands out to me on that Wigan team. On the, they, they played well together. Um, they, they sort of, they stuck it out until the very end as they should have done. They, they that's, That try was scored extremely early. But Huddersfield, I feel like they should have come back and they probably didn't. Des- neither team deserved to lose that game, I don't think, did they, really? No, I think that, like the... the- Key thing was those missed kicks for Huddersfield. Yeah. Whether well, he missed four kicks, so that's eight points. Yeah. That easily would have secured them the game, even with a Wigan comeback. So yeah, it's really tough because uh, Lola here did have, he did have a really good game and he was involved in a lot of the um, tries Huddersfield scored and some great breaks. And so it's just really hard to to take that. I mean. Um, I, I can't remember be, him being the first choice kicker for any team he's played in. So no. It's kind of um, an oversight, really, from Huddersfield to not have a, you know, a, a regular kicker within that um, 17. Yeah, I was really shocked. I mean, we got there when the players were warming up. We got there, I sat down in my seat about half an hour, 40 minutes before kickoff, and Will Price was out there. And I was like, he hasn't been named in the 17. Is, it, is that because... like? Russell was carrying a knock um, and I think it was the fact that Russell had come into the game injured I think a lot of players were carrying heavy knocks in sort of vital positions and I thought oh he might be one of them like I would have preferred to play him ahead of Ashton Golding if that makes sense like it was weird that Golding came on towards the end of the game and not a player of Will Price's calibre the sort of player we know Will Price can be yes that's a lot of pressure to put on the young man but I feel like if you bring Will Price into that game against a tired Wigan team with 15 minutes to go, he probably gives you that little bit more of an X factor. Um, that was that a surprise for you two that he wasn't in the 17 and after being named in the squad. I feel like if they weren't going to pick him, they should have just left him out of the squad completely. Yeah, I mean, was that his, would have been his first game back from the back? Yeah, it would. Yeah, that would have been his first game back after 10 games off. A, it's a like a big ask in it. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a, a risk, and um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, not taking that into consideration, I'd pick Will Price over Ashton Golding. But yeah. taking that into consideration, I guess Ian Watson was thinking, um, Is yeah, it? it's a, it's it's too too risky to take a, a player with just totally unknown form. Yeah, um, and put him in front of a 
massive opposition big mm. occasion like that. So I don't think Ashton Govan did a bad job there. I think I, I, I was pretty impressed with um with his game really. Yeah. From what from the little part he did play. Yeah, definitely. Uh Toby, two two players that stood out for me for Huddersfield this weekend. Uh, Leroy Kaijo recorded 210 running metres from 19 carries and got on a, a one-handed offload assist to, for Jermaine McGilvray's try. And then Chris Hill, after just 20 minutes on the pitch after, uh, before he was injured, he made 100 metres from eight carries, clocked nine tackles and six decoy runs before he limped off with his leg injury. A player that we didn't put in our England squad, and I think if he'd have carried on playing the way he had, and he's hopefully it's not a bad injury for him, is there any way these two lads... Who are getting on a bit? Squeeze their way into that twenty-four, maybe. I think there's every chance that Chris Hill does, but I think we towards the end when we were picking our twenty-fourth man, we were saying, do we want a ball carrying prop? Do yeah. We want, um, you know, do, do we want the Chris McQueen who just can do a bit of everything? You know, what kind of player do we want that twenty-fourth man to be? Yeah. Um, and I think it's that is if Sean Wayne wants to make sure that his team's physical and up to that sort of height, you know, uh, can go with the rest of them, can go with the best yeah. of them. Sorry. Um. No, I think Chris Hill isn't with a shout, but also in terms of looking for the future, he's not a top four prop in, no. in anymore, I don't think. No. And if he's not a top four prop, it's kind of like, what's the point in taking him as a number five or six um, when he's 34? And this would be his last sort of time in an England shirt, but I guess that depends on what Wayne's philosophy is going to be. Um, in regards to sort of the Kudjo, um, I mean, I really liked the team that we picked. Um He's somebody who I don't think we've seen immense consistency from, um, but, but puts in a performance like that in a Huddersfield side that makes it to a semi-final or a grand final. Yeah. All of a sudden we're having a different conversation, aren't we? So I think there's potential there in terms of Kudjo, but um, I think that you know there's there's obvious centres who get ahead of him to the point where yeah. I don't think you can sort of argue for him over. Yeah. Players, yeah, definitely. Um, but like I said, congratulations to Wigan, commiserations to Huddersfield. Well done, Chris McQueen, on picking up the the Lance Store Trophy Man of the Match. Well done to Lee for overcoming Fev, Edwin, and Pape winning the Ray French Award. So, congratulations to him. We've now had three different winners of the 1895 Cup in three years. So, I think that that does go to show that teams are taking it that little bit more seriously now. Like, it's not just Fev like trying to win it all the time. And I may know they tried to win it this weekend and and they didn't. Uh, Go on. Five championship round of sixteen losers or something. Yeah, something like, something like that. Yeah. So it's a second chance to get into Wembley for them. So congratulations. Um, what was I going to say? Um, a fun fact from this weekend is that the the two teams that decided to take the two point lead within the first three minutes of the game, Featherstone and Huddersfield, both lost the final. So a note to coaches out there: if you're in a cup final, don't take an early two points to 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 get on top of the board because you'll lose the game. Uh, we need to move. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't kick a two point. Just go for the jugular straight away. That's that's how you're going to win a final. Uh, before we move on, it's state of origin next week, Wednesday the eighth, game one, ten past eleven in the UK, uh, playing at the playing in Sydney. Uh, we're just going to run through the teams. Uh, we're going to I'll run through the New South Wales team, and we'll run, we'll run through the the Queensland team. For New South Wales, you've got uh, Tedesco captain at fullback. Uh, Brian Tottor, Katoni Staggs, Jack White and Daniel Tupo, Jerome Luai and Nathan Cleary in the halves. You've got Payne Haas, Damian Cook, Junior Paulo, Cameron Murray, 
Tarek Sims and uh, Isaiah Yeo at the start for the starting thirteen. Uh, on the bench, you'll have Stephen Crichton, Liam Martin, Regan Campbell-Gillard, and Ryan Matteson. And then your extended sort of reserves, you'll have Nico Hines, Tyson Grizzell, uh, Jacob Saifiti, uh, Joseph Suwali, and Api Korosau. So strong team. I think any one of those players could play in that thirteen. But we'll talk about them in it. Uh, Queensland uh, Ponga at fullback, Selwyn Cobbo on one wing. Valentine Holmes, Dan Gagai in the centres with Xavier Coates on the other. Halfbacks of Munster and Cherry Evans captaining the side from seven. Uh, Tino Pasua Malawi, Ben Hunt and jo- uh, Josh Papali front row. Kurt Capewell, Felice Calfusi and Ruben Cotter rounding out the starting 13. Harry Grant, Lindsay Collins, Pat Carrigan and uh, Jeremiah Nanai on the bench. Tom Dearden, Jairo, Thomas Flegler, Hamiso Tabuai Fido and Murray Taulagi on the extended reserves. I think there's one, there's certain players on there that are a bit shocking to me, but then there's quite a lot of players out injured. Robin, are you looking forward to? We'll do, we'll do them in next week's prediction for the thing. So don't tell me who you think will win the game. But are you looking forward to seeing State of Origin and these these players? Yeah, two like like you said, um, a couple of omissions there. I think uh, that stand out for me. Um, for that maroon squad is uh, Fafita being overlooked. I know that he's um, not been the best version of himself, but um, I'm surprised that he doesn't make it because he's a handful. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, then on the um, the blue side, um, I think uh, Josh had a card sort of a bit unlucky, um, not to be included, but I guess he's not playing for the best team now, so that plays a part. But yeah, I'm excited for the game, definitely. I'm uh, I'm considering taking the morning off work just to watch it. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, another player that stood out for me, I, th- I think we sort of, me and Toby kind of spoke about this before we, we came on air, was Corey, no, there's no Corey Oates. And for me, like, one of the top scoring ringers in the league this year, always reliable, will make yards, strong, hard carrier, very sort of Jermaine McGilvery-esque in how he's not afraid to run the ball up. I was surprised that he got he didn't get picked ahead of Selwyn Cobbo, who's a young right winger. Like a bit a bit of a weird one that one, Toby. Don't don't you think? Or or do you think he should have been maybe in the extended squad ahead of maybe say uh, Tao Langi? Yeah, no, I think Corey Oates should have been in there somewhere. I think he's he's done it at Queensland level before, and um, he's sort of had a good season this season. Um, what I will say, you talk about the statistics, his tactical efficiency. Um, which, I mean, you take Murray Tawaga, who I think is a really surprising person to be named in the last uh, reserve shirt, um, and Murray Tawaga tackles at around 77%, so you sort of see there that that's maybe what, what sort of influenced um, yeah. Billy Slater uh, in terms of that, although Corey, Norm- Corey Norman, Corey Oates' <laughs> um, tackle breaks and line breaks are, sort of much, are at a much higher level. Um I think Selwyn Cobble, Selwyn Cobble is a player who um, could be in a England shirt for like another <laughs> ten years. Yeah. Sort of excited, excited and um, yeah, I understand why you sort of do that. And I think he's, a, you know, he's in the same place where Corey Oates was in when he first broke into the the Maroon squad in like 2016, 2017. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's something like, well, is this something that's going to sort of damage his career going forward, maybe? Yeah. I mean, he's such a reliable player. For- yeah, 100%. I'm not really sure what's going on, but something's happening on 
one of your microphones is picking it up. Um, I don't know who it is. I don't know whether it's you, Toby, or you, Robin, but it's gone now. Um, that was really weird that I was picking that up. Um, but I think that's sorted. Nope. It's ba uh, Robin, it's coming from you, I believe. What, is it a, is it a fan? Yeah, it might. No, it's just a loud squeaking noise, that's all. Really? No, it's gone at the minute. If it comes back, I'll let you know. Um, but no, yeah, um, really looking forward. Really glad they've named like really big 20, what, 22 man squads. Interesting that there was a lot of players sort of missing out for Queensland, but like I said, Billy Slater's first Queensland selection. I don't think there's a lot of pressure on him to sort of win it, if that makes sense. He's sort of, we don't know what type of coach he's going to be. We don't know if he's going to be a hands-on coach. We don't know if he's sort of going to sit back and let his assistant coaches sort of take the reins while he sort of tells them what he wants to do. I'm happy for Nico Hines being in there, but it is weird seeing both him and um, Suwali and Crichton from like named from between the 14 and the 22. One shock for me is that Harry Grant won't start at hooker, but Ben Hunt will. Like, has Ben Hunt been starting at hooker for the, the Dragons? He started the seven for the Dragons, I, I believe. Then, to me, he shouldn't be playing hooker for State of Origin. I think we had this conversation last year. Well, not we had this conversation, but I think the media had this conversation last year about Ben Hunt, like, you know, being put in the hooker jersey for Queensland. There's something about when you play hooker at a State of Origin level where he just becomes a very um, useful player. Um, but when he's played hooker for the Dragons, he's definitely been better in the halves. Um, it makes sense to me why you'd sort of pick Ben Hunt in terms of he'll bring yeah. the players around him onto the ball more than take the ball himself. Um, and I think maybe it's something where Billy Slater's probably more comfortable coaching that style because that's a style he would have been a bit more used to when Cameron Smith's sort of playing hooker for him back in the day. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I can see that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if I put a prediction out there of the game will swing in Queensland's favour for the t twenty the first 10 minutes when Harry Grant's on the pitch. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if, if that prediction sort of came to light. Yeah, 100%. Um, there's... With this team that's been picked, I know there's we've got no we've got no Latrell Mitchell, no Adokar, no Corey Oates, no David Fafita, who we assume will play for Engl uh, Australia. I nearly said England, and that would be weird. Um, we assume will play for Australia, but there's a very very slim chance that he, he'll go and play for Tonga um, at the World Cup at the end of the year. I kind of hope he does um, because I feel like he he has got um, he will have obviously Tongan descent on on one side of his family. Is, can we sort of pick an Australia squad with this team or with the fact that Luai's in there, Staggs is in there, Tupo's in there? Like, these guys are not... We know Toto's going to play for Samoa. We know Tupai and Luai uh, are going to play for um, Tonga and Samoa as well. Junior Paulo's probably going to go and play for Samoa. Like, Tarek Sims is likely to play for Fiji. Are they, players like this are not going to play for Australia, are they? So... Can we we can we really pick an Australia team with this with this team, with these two squads or not? Because usually we, we would, pick, usually we would. We pick Munster and Cleary. We can pick Tedesco. We can pick Damian Cook. Yeah, I think we can. Then I think that and think that that sort of Damian picks you. You sent. I think then your centres. You're looking at Dane Gagai and Jack Whiten and Valentine Holmes. Are you going to be the three? 
the three World Cup centres, if you're going on sort of who we're looking at. I know M M Mitchell's not there, but Mitchell will be in the squad. Pong is probably likely going to sit out the World Cup. He's not going to be, I don't think he's going to be one of the players that's get, that gets taken. Um, based on this, you probably, Cherry Evans will have to go. Um, based on this, Ben Hunt would go ahead of Harry Grant. But these, this, this doesn't really make sense to me. Nico Hines is not likely to go. Who? Yeah, Kafisi. I think I'll get Kafusi, Murray, and um, Hakewell. Yeah, Yeo will probably go. I think I think you can definitely pick like a good twenty, but then it's like it's interesting now, isn't it? Where you know you take that Luai and Cleary partnership, you can have for the Blues, but you 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 split up for yeah. Um, Australia. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Do you think Aust like the NRL need to say okay if you play? Do the for these players, I know you want the best of the best for State of Origin, but it always used to be like an Australian select committee. I just think they need to bring back the Anzac test so that we get to see what the Australia squad looks like. We see who's eligible for yeah. Australia before Origin. Then we have Origin and we all of a sudden say, well, this player might want to play for Australia. We know this player's going to play for Samoa because he chose Samoa over Australia in the, in the, during the Anzac window. Yeah. Um, Know, so like this player might want to play for Australia, and we start to just sort of you sort of tweaking the squad that you've already got earlier in the season. But we know the Aussies hate international rugby league more than. Yeah, I mean they haven't. Australia haven't played an international rugby game since two thousand and nineteen. I mean it's three years, but they should have played. They should have played one last year mid season, just in case the World Cup did go ahead. Like it, it's it's weird. I mean Payne Haas is he going to play for Australia or is he now going to go and play for Samoa? But I know a lot of the Samoan players don't want to play under the current Samoa head coach which is why there was a big hoo-ha of who's going to lead them into the World Cup it's something we'll go into a bit more next week um, and probably the week after once we know sort of well maybe more of when Origin 2 comes around because there is I think there's a Tonga versus PNG or Tonga versus Samoa game that weekend so we'll see which of those players choose to play for their country of Tonga or PNG or Samoa that weekend instead of playing for State of Origin um, we already know that um Daniel Tupo is likely to miss out on Origin 2 because he'd rather play for Tonga than Australia. So it would be interesting to see who comes in on the wing ahead of him. Uh, but we need to move on. It's set a six time. Um, and it's tight. It's really tight at the top. Uh, both myself and you, Robin, we're both on 54 points. Um, Toby, you're slacking behind a little bit. Still six points behind on 48. So this is definitely a week where I think you need to sort of win win some games and we might have a little bit of fun uh first up workington versus london the two bottom teams in in the bottom of the championship um london of some london of sat jermaine coleman it's friday night on premier sports what we where are we going lads what are we doing straight after a coach sacking I, t I tend to side with the uh sorry it's thursday night not friday night it's thursday afternoon <laughs> Straight after a coach sacking, the players players on sort of average, I would say, our players tend to play better for that first game after a coach sacking. So, and London have actually won a game this year, so I will take London. They've also had a bit of banter on Twitter, which has been quite amusing. So, <laughs> I'll take uh, I'll take London on this one. Uh, Robin, what about yourself? Yeah, is it a London home game as well? No, it's away in Workington at twelve thirty oh. on Thursday. It's live on Premier Sports. Plug, big plug. Oh. I think I'm. I think I'm gonna have to still go with London, but that would have cemented my decision if it was a London home game. But yeah, still my enough. I think I'll back London. 
Yeah, definitely. I think it's going to be a triple whammy there for London. I'm really hoping that I feel for I feel for Jermaine Coleman and his brother Jamel because the step up from Scholars to London is huge. We know that it's the fact that he brought a lot of League One level players with him. They knew it was going to be a bad year. Since he's left, they've brought in Pellegri from Castlecon, who's just won the Elite One title. And we know that the players playing in Elite One can step up and do it at Championship level. Look at the Toulouse lads that easily stepped up to do it. Look at the Catalan lads that have easily stepped up and become Super League players like Jordan Desario, Joe Chan. They've all played Elite One for the, the sort of the reserve side and stepped up and, and done a wonderful job. Joe Chan going to Melbourne next year. That's absolutely ridiculous, by the way. France need, France need to cap that boy. Prepared for our apologies to Workington. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. We can't apologise to Workington. We'll have to. If Corn will win at the weekend, um, we'll apologise to them, and then it'll be West Wales will be the worst rugby league team in uh, in the world again. But uh, we need to move on. Witness Bradford, two teams that are right next to each other in the Championship table once again. I think they've already played each other once this season, and I think Bradford came out on top just. But it's it's a huge game away at Witness. Again, I think it's Thursday. Um, I've just lost my sheet that had when the games were. But, uh, yeah, I believe it's Thursday. So, where are we going? Is it Thursday? Uh, yes, away. Witness Bradford, Thursday, 3 o'clock. Yeah, because Witness um, lost to Sheffield, didn't they? The other week in yeah. the uh, Monday night game. And they did. But I think Bradford won, so uh, just going off that. And... <laughs> watching a, a pretty poor witness side at York I'm going to back Bradford yeah I'm going to back the Bulls as well they've had a bit of an up and down season um, did they get rid of John Keir in the end or is he still there was it, was it John Keir or whoever it was in charge is he still there I don't yeah. recall I don't recall them get, I don't recall them getting rid of him but um, yeah it, it's weird isn't it they parted company with him on 26th of April. Oh, okay. So, yeah, about a month ago. I didn't even realise they'd got rid of him. I mean, I good for them. Not that long ago. That... Yeah. So, yeah, weird one. Um, Let's see. I think, with, oh, Witness don't have a new coach, by the way. So, Witness also are coachless. Because I thought it was going to be a Henderson, but it's not Henderson. And no one's, no one's sort of got a... They haven't got a new head coach yet, and you, you said with the new head coach gone, players step up, Toby. So are you going to go for Widnes or not? No, after a flying head, uh, a flying start to the season, um, Widnes have sort of just been down in the dumps since, and I think Bradford have been a bit up and down, but at least they've been consistently up and down. Um, so I think I'll take Bradford for this one as well. Yeah, another sort of triple whammy, Bradford. I don't think I can back anyone other than Bradford against, like you said, a, a Widnes side that started off well, dropped off. Haven't been overly impressed as of late, but they, they could sort of do a number. Uh, next up, we go to Super League. We've got Warrington versus Leeds, 8th versus 10th. That's not a, that's not what I thought I'd be saying towards the start of the season with these two teams. Both lost 8 out of 13. Leeds have got uh, 4 wins and a draw. Warrington with 5 wins. Both in negative goal dif uh, points difference. Neither team scored more than 300 points yet. Both teams conceded more than 240. Warrington conceded 310. A point between them. Uh, we were talking about Leeds potentially getting relegated. With the signings that Toulouse have made, what Wakefield picking up some important wins. They're still only five points off Toulouse. This could be, if they lose this weekend and Toulouse win, they'll be back in that fight. Yeah, crazy, isn't it? Leeds just haven't been able to just turn the season around. Um, 
last time we, we saw uh, Warrington take on Leeds in the, the game on Channel 4 and Leeds were the better side but Warrington still managed to come up with a win so um, I don't think much has changed since then for no. either side um, so I'll, I'll, I'll back Warrington uh, this weekend yeah I'm, I'm going to back Wire as well but only because they're the team higher up in the table I've, I've, I'd love to see a draw but we're not allowed to do that um, it is one team or the other, and obviously, if it's a draw, then both of it, then everyone gets a point. If we've sort of, if we we all sort of get one point, so that which is the fairest way to do it. It's tough. It's not easy. Both teams with, with they've got Wid at back. They played him at full back, I think, against Saints. Um, did they win that game as well? I think they won that game, didn't they, a few weeks ago against Saints. They've now got Kyla Moore there. Oh no, they lost by they lost by two points, but they were very impressive. Kyler Moore in the squad, who is going to go to Widnes next season. Um, Thomas Michele has joined from from West Tigers, so yeah, Didson and Didson and Cassiano will join them next year. They've, they've they've recruited already for next season, and they've already got two props in this season to sort of boost their forward pack, which we thought they would need to do, and they have done. And for that reason, I'm going to go with Wire. Yeah, I think that Wire's season isn't over yet. Like, I think they've had a few close losses which they could turn around. Uh, whether turning them around under Daryl Powell under Darryl Powell is going to be possible, I'm not sure. Um, I think that for this is a game where it's close enough that I can probably try and win one of my points back. So I'm going to take Leeds on it. Although, because I was going to chat that Leeds were fully fit um, going into this game. The Super League website has stopped caring about the positions they put players in on the lineups. I've gone to click on the, <laughs> the Leeds team, and apparently Reese Martin played on the wing. The other um, Mikuledski played at scrum half, and Zane Tesovani played at hooker with Cruz Lehman playing at prop. So oh. Richard Mayer was playing on the left wing as well. So I, I don't know what's happening here. Is that what Leeds have been doing wrong all year? They've just been playing players. They, that's what they maybe that's what they should maybe the Super League are telling them this is what you should be doing. Like this is what um another thing I want to talk about quickly before we move on to, to to game four, James Bentley. I said it didn't I when they signed him at the start of the year. He's the biggest liability in the in the game. He's missing another three games for a high tackle in the win over Wakefield. Um, it's his third ban of the season. When he comes back, he'll have missed nine games out of, out of fifteen or sixteen. He'll have been banned for more games than he's played. With with more than half the season gone, like the man is an idiot. It's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. I we, I was like really impressed when they announced the signing because he chose Leeds over that a great same side, and I was saying how you know this is how you build a good culture and yeah, um, it's such a good like sign that that Leeds have still got this like people want to play for him. Yeah. But maybe this, maybe the the passion that he's got is just being used in the wrong way, and it's turning into into just sort of he's letting his emotions get the better of him, and it's turning into like just mindless violence. I don't know. I just don't understand how he can't um, just behave himself for more than like two or three games before getting another ban. Yeah, four game ban for attack. Go on, Rock Toby. Not, well, I was saying, not many players can say that they lead the league in certain stats. Yellow <laughs> cards, red cards, and he's one off leading the league in penalties. So, <laughs> in the few games he has actually played as well. That's what I mean. He'll have missed nine games, and I bet he still leads the league in penalties at the end. Like, it's such a shame because when he when he when he isn't playing 
aggressively and he doesn't concede penalties he's fantastic like he scores a lot of tries he makes meters he's solid in defense but he's just so error prone and it's so disappointing to see because if he wasn't he'd be a shoe in he would definitely if he wasn't so error prone he'd be a shoe in for the world cup but he's such a liability he's so unreliable like even in such a poor leeds team he is one of those players that they need to get rid of now. Like, I know they brought him in, I think, for a two-year deal. But the bloke, the bloke's just an absolute moron. Like, yeah, I've just sent the <laughs> profile picture that he took for... Um... For joining. He looks like a thug, man. He looks he, he looks like a thug and he acts like a thug. And it's, it's so disappointing to see. Um, we need to move on, though. This fixture early, this fixture early in the season shocked us because we all picked saints i think every single one of us picked saints to win this game earlier in the year they traveled to france this weekend and they've got to lose um and because i'm ahead by six points and i don't mind falling a point or two behind robin i'm gonna go with to lose just because i can and i think with Corey norman nathan peets the players they're bringing in fair play to them he's actually got a squad he can pick from now as um as a coach so Go on to lose. Go and get another two points for us, please. If Corey Norman um, had signed at the start of the season, then I would have been as excited as, about him as I was about Brodie Croft. Um, <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, it's quite quite exciting to see what he could potentially do in that Toulouse team. But Nathan Peets is a player that Lee tried to sign to get them out of trouble last season. Yeah. So still a better, probably better than their current options, but I'm not sure it's quite the sign they should sort of. <laughs> Um, to take them above Wakefield and Leeds, no. but um, yeah, no, very positive. Um, very positive view. I can't actually decide where I want to win this one. Oh well, in that case, then I'll let I'll let you have a I, think, and I'll go with Robin. I don't believe uh, that Toulouse <laughs> can do the double against Saints. Um, unfortunately, because obviously I would rather Toulouse win, mm. but I do think that. Um, there should be a rule that if the other team gets promoted and you can do the double against the defending champs, then you should be uh, exempt from relegation. I think that should be a rule. Yeah, because didn't, didn't... No, I'm going to have to go for, uh, for Saints. Yeah, London did it, didn't they, a few years ago, and they did the double over yeah, Saints. Yeah, that's it. They should, they should have been kept up if you can do that. Yeah, it's disappointing. Uh, Toby, 1-1 one, one on this side. Are you, you, who are you going to lean towards for this? Saints don't travel well to France. They've got injuries. They're having to sort of refine an identity. So I think I'm going to side with you, Brad, and take Toulouse. <laughs> Toby's de Toby's licking his lips. He's going to be top of the table at this rate. Um, <laughs> game number five, the battle of the two. Actually, only one of the worst two uh, rugby league teams in. Actually, no, it is the worst rugby league team in professional rugby league or semi-professional rugby league against the former worst team in professional rugby league Cornwall versus London Scholars uh, 9th versus 11th on this one and I'm only going to go with this because they picked up a win against Oldham and we've seen how bad that Cornwall are I'm going to go for Scholars this weekend 2 two on the bounce and it'll be 3 next week when they play West Wales so look, yeah you're predicting London are just going to turn the season around just bam Bam! They're just going to go three wins on the yeah. trot, six points up to seventh, easy as you like. That's what's yeah. that's what's going to happen. I um, I, I, yeah, I can't see a win coming out of Cornwall. <laughs> it it would be nice, um, but I think I think London are going to be realistic about the fact that Cornwall will be trying to stage an assault, considering this is 
probably one of their only chances to score points this year. So they'll they'll be prepared. They'll know exactly what the next fortnight holds. And um, so yeah, uh, scholars for me. And Toby, are you making it three scholars out of three, or are you gonna go with corn? Are you gonna back back the Cornwall side? Yeah, history is telling us that whoever we um, <laughs> whoever we say is going to be the worst team in League One isn't. So I think it's a back Cornwall. Um, you know they'll make the Memorial Ground a fortress for this uh, <laughs> for this fixture. All two hundred all two hundred seats will have someone sat in them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they'll be sort of channeling that Ottawa energy that they uh, have in them somewhere. Nice. I think Harry Aronson, actually. Harry Aronson, a Cornwall winger. He used to play for North Wales Crusaders as well. So you got to back your boys, didn't you, really? Yeah. Um, another one I'm going to let you go for here, Toby. Go, I'm going to let you go first on this one. Um, North Wales Crusaders versus Keithley. Battle at the top. Two Is it two unbeaten sides in, in well, League One? Two teams, both with eight wins and no losses. This is a big and game. Whoever wins this... Whoever wins this will likely be the top of the champion at the end of the year, am I right? It's come at such a perfect time in the season as well, yeah. where both teams have been able to establish themselves as the best two teams before they have to face each other for the first time this season. Yeah. And, oh, do you know what? It's impossible. It, it feels almost impossible to predict. Um, but I think Arius Park is, has actually been a fortress. A joke background's been a fortress for <laughs> this one. And yeah, and um, I think Crusaders will be well up for this. Um, you know, they've shown no sort of signs that they're um, are willing to lose this season, apart from when they play Sheffield, and that, that's their much better team, you know, in a higher division. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I don't think I've got any reason to want to not back Crusaders here. So I've, I've got to take them. I'm I'm going Keithley just because I think they're going to win the grand final at the end of the year. Um, I've got Queensland to win State of Origin, Saints to win the Grand Final, Lee to win the Grand Final, Keithley to win the Grand Final, Australia women to win their World Cup and England to win their World Cup. They're my predictions this year and for that reason I'm going to go Keithley. Um, I also just love their kit, quite frankly. But then again, I also love the North Wales white kit. So um, if there's any way I can get one of them, then I would love one. Well, um, I like you say, difficult call. But I've got I've got to go with um, Toby and his his beloved Crusaders. <laughs> uh, and also on a side note, I totally disagree. That FIFA kit is awful, <laughs> and they have produced some of the most hideous kits in all of rugby. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, w- I won't argue with you. Um, but before we go, I'm just going to read out what some of tonight's match disciplinary decisions have been. I don't know if you two have seen it. Have seen it pop up. Leeds Rhinos have been rocked with the news that one of their forwards has been handed a 10-match ban. Um, if you've looked at social media, you might know who it is. Toby, do you want one guess of who's picked up a 10-match ban? And it's not James Bentley. Um, is it Bodine Thompson for his horrendous <laughs> magazine policies? <laughs> um, no, it's... It's Tom Holroyd. Um, he played a championship, bet for a championship game for Bradford against Newcastle. Um, I think it was this weekend. Great F punch in charge after um, after being dismissed. So yeah, ten. I've not seen the clip, um, but yeah, ten matches. Jake Shoritz was also sent to this uh, thing. He got five matches after the tri- tribunal downgraded the offence from grade F to grade E. Um, yeah, both players were fined two hundred and fifty pound. Um, 
Yeah. Ten ma ten ma ten ten matches for punching. Was it really that bad? Was it was it did it, did it deserve ten matches or was it was it not as bad as Will Price's tackle? Right. We don't condone violence here at the bus. What do you mean? What do you mean? We're brought to you by swing. We do condone a good bit. And Tom Holroyd, I'm pretty sure he floored three people. <laughs> I need to find this video. I want to find this video. Where is it? Yeah, it, it, was a, it was a pretty good one. Like, I think if he, um, if he gets like a match ban for each punch, then he is on about 10 match ban. <laughs> I want to see it. I want to find it before we go off air. Oh, here we go. Here we go. I think this is it. Here we go. Up you get, son. Bang, bang. Oh, that's a solid punch, that. Oof. Oh, he decks him. He proper decks him. He punches about. Oh, my God. Look at him go. He's punching his own players. Oh, that's not very... That's brutal. The lad's massive as well. Yeah, I, I did enjoy that. Oh, this is a two-minute video. I'm going to watch it back after. But um, you've got my live reaction to seeing them punches for the first time. That is re absolutely ridiculous. Allroyd's decked about four people there. Oh, God. Um, but no, that was the predictions this week. We're, uh, we're not going to do a badge rating. Um, I've already got next week's fixtures ready to go for, um, for set of six. So if we don't go live, we'll make sure we get them sorted for you. If we don't record a podcast, we'll make sure you get them sorted for you. Um... That's been Toby, that's been Robin, we've been the Biff, brought to you by swinging arms and shoulder charges, and we don't condone violence, apparently. Um, <laughs> we, we condone Tom Holroyd, um, what an absolute legend that man is. Um, and Jake Shorrocks. <laughs> no, we... I think, I think Tom Holroyd might be our, our Biff player of the month. <laughs> Biff of, the month. Biff, Biff of the month, Tom Holroyd. That might have to be a new award, you know. Biff of the month, Tom Holroyd. Um, yeah, no, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Don't forget to like, share, comment, subscribe. Let us know what your predictions are. Let us know who you're supporting for State of Origin. I'll be Queensland. Let's go. Up the Maroons. Um, thank you very much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>